Welcome, family. Good evening. Good evening, Grandpa. Oh, it's me if I preach not the Gospels. Corinthians 9.16. Amen, Grandpa. Hi, I'm Kevin Smith, and the Red State USA tour is almost over. Can you believe it? It just began, and now it's almost done. We've done nine shows so far. New York, Boston, Chicago, Minneapolis, Ann Arbor, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Springfield, Washington, D.C. They've all run red. We only got a few shows left. We may be coming to your neck of the woods. Listen very closely. March 22nd, I'm going to be at the Paramount Theater in Denver with Red State for the movie and the Q&A. March 26th, we're going to be in New Orleans. March 28th, we're going to be at the Paramount Theater in Austin, Texas. March 29th, the Cobb Energy Center in Atlanta, Georgia. April 4th, the McCall Hall in Seattle, Washington. And April 9th, we wrap up the tour at the Wiltern Theater right here in Los Angeles, California, Big old cast and crew screening. Bunch of cats going to be up on stage who are actually in the movie. And me too, who's not in the movie, but I did make it. Come on out. Weird things happen. It's a, it's, it's like going to a Grateful Dead concert as a movie, man. It's such a cool experience. Come on out and join us. Tour is almost done. For tickets, go to coopersdell.com. Gonna get grown up in here. Hi, I'm Kevin Smith, and on May 9th, we're going to launch Sir Smodcast Internet Radio. It's going to be an embedded live radio station right at Smodcast.com, and you're going to be able to listen to Smodcast like you would any other radio station. Turn it on, there's going to be something happening. It's no longer downloading. I mean, you could do that, too. We'll always have on-demand shows for downloading, but you jump right on and just listen to us live. Call in, Skype in, be involved in the show. That's right. We're going to do four original hours of morning radio programming. From 8 till 10, it's going to be this morning with Kevin Jen, as me and Jen kind of doing a plus one type of daily show. And then from noon till 2, it's going to be me and Jason Muse doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Jobs. But the only way we could do any of this is with the help of our good friends and partners at Stitcher. Stitcher, you've heard about it before. It's kind of like Pandora for podcasts, if you will. These cats are fantastic. They stream podcasts right there on your phone rather than listening to it or downloading it. You could be in your car driving to work. I don't want to listen to this morning radio. You hit your Stitcher app, man. Boom. You're listening to Smodcast morning radio this morning show or you're just streaming one of the many podcasts from our vast catalog or one that just went up that morning man right on your iphone your android phone your blackberry and pre these guys are fantastic their app is amazing and now they've partnered up with us to bring you sir these cats are going to be hosting the mobile version of the embedded radio station so it's modcast.com you'll be able to hear us on your computer on your laptop on a landline but when you're on your phone or your mobile device of any sort Stitcher is going to be our home, man. So Stitcher's our partner. Show Stitcher how much you love them. Go download their free app, man. It's free. That's the weird thing. They're not charging anything for this app. This app's going to cost you absolutely nothing. And the only thing you have to do for it is download it. But you can do me a favor while you're doing that. At the registration point, enter the promo code SMOD. You'll see a little thing that says, have a promo code? Tap here or something like that. Enter S-M-O-D. And what's going to happen at that point is you're going to be A, Entered to win $250 worth of stash, uh, Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash merchandise, or smerchandise, as we call it over at Smodcast. $250, bucks. go shop your fool head off. But more importantly, by using that promo code, you're showing them how strong the Smodcast audience is, and that this is a worthwhile endeavor to open up that stream and build it and house it for us. Show them you're thankful. Live, fresh content. It's going to be the bomb, and these cats are responsible. Go to stitcher.com slash smod and start the process, man. Stitcher is the future. And the future of Smodcast Network is Sir Smodcast Internet Radio. I am a green and olive queen. I'm a man hunter. I'm a lover of weed. A wolverine 
geek out. I love bags and boards because I'm a fucking dork. I like bags and boards because I'm a fucking dork. I like bags and boards because I'm a fucking dork. My comic book collection gives me an erection. What? And welcome to Bagged and Boarded. I am Matt Cohen. Thank you for joining me. As always, we are here at the illustrious My Castle, where the elite meet to beat their meat. That's a masturbation reference, in case you're just waking up. Or it's late at night, and it's the same kind of thing as waking up, you know? You're in that, like, waking REM state where cool shit happens, and, like, you watch... You ever lay on your couch, and you're watching TV, and then, like, you half fall asleep, and your dreams get invaded by your TV? First time that happened to me was Care Bears. I remember vividly. Like, I was in the fucking Care Bears, and I never wanted it to stop, but it did, and I'm here. Uh, we are, of course, joined by an audience of, I'm going to pull out the old spyglass here and say 6,000, maybe 6,500, but as always in bagged and boarded tradition, we've put a gag order on all of them because we, it's not, we don't want to feed you the laughter. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's like a subtle British comedy. You decide when you want to laugh. You know it's there. You know, King of the Hill worked without a laugh track for like 20 years, so we think we can do it too. Um... We are on a very, very cool night, folks. Thank you for joining us. We're sponsored by Golden Apple Comics, as always, the finest comic shop in the land, goldenapplecomics.com. Lots of cool stuff coming up with them. We got lots of fucking exciting guests coming on the show, lots of news coming up. We'll be hitting Anaheim Wizard World in about a month. We'll be doing crazy shit over there, lots of uh, events and stuff to get into. But let's let's cut the fat, folks, and get to the reason we're here tonight. Uh, I have the privilege of being joined by a gentleman who I'm going to say is one of the, the, the brightest stars in the world of comedy today. He's laughing, so I'll say rising. Would you not laugh at that? Uh, I'll, whatever. I will take whatever. All right, all right. Uh, you, may know, you may know his work from, uh, from, from the sketch group Derek Comedy and, and, and what, like their, their, their sketch Bro Rape, which I had DC and Meggie on the show from, from Derek, and we figured out right. that Bro Rape has more collective views than like 30 nations in the world. So if bro rape was a country, it would be it would be like you, NATO and like it would have would have good diplomatic ties and stuff. Um, you might know him from Derek Comedy. You might know him from from the feature film Mystery Team, which if you haven't seen yet, it is fantastic. Uh, it is on Netflix Instant Watch right now. I believe you could definitely check it out. And uh, you may know him, and you should definitely know him from a brand new podcast called Anytime Show, which was birthed here at at the Smod Castle. And uh, I think they're up to about episode eight, and, and you can check that out on iTunes and, and Facebook anytime, and it's a fantastic show, real inside comedy type stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Mr. Dominic Durkis. What up, dude? Hey. Oh, my goodness. The, the crowd goes wild. Thank See, I, you. I told them to be quiet. Though. I know, yeah, and they respect you. They respect your authority. Thanks for having me. Thanks, dude. How, how, how are you, man? I'm feeling good. This is like old hat to you now, the whole podcast world. A little bit. I mean, this venue, you know, being in the Smog Castle, not old hat, but I'm starting to get comfortable with it. So. Absolutely. I saw you take your pants off. Like, that was... Yeah. That's yeah. the first move when comfort, for me at least. I'm glad you saw that. Yeah, I yeah, did yeah. it. I tried to do it in full view of you, but you didn't react. So I, I, I didn't know if you, you were... wanted to me, me to react or not. I thought it was kind of just like, we both knew it was happening. I wanted you to feel however you felt about it. But mission, I wanted mission, it to mission, be seen. Mission accomplishment. <laughs> Good. Um, so, no, but you, you, you recently started a podcast called The Anytime Show here at the Smod Castle, right? Mm -hmm. And you've yeah. had, on, had on some awesome guests. It's uh, been fun. Yeah. Paul Tompkins did the first one. Aubrey Plaza was on one. Jesse Thorne. Uh, Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll. I mean, no, 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 totally. And you've and had great character stuff. Yeah, a bunch of uh, UCB friends have done character. Sean Clements did character. DC Pearson from Derek did a character. Yeah, it's fun. I like I like interviewing the characters and doing. It reminds me of 
improv in a lot of ways, so it's a lot of fun. Well, that's cool, man. So, so the podcast world isn't new to you now, and neither is the comedy world, and that's definitely an understatement. You, um, you're from now. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It's somewhere in the south. I know that. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, originally, Tennessee. Yeah. There we go. Um, now, growing up in Memphis, see, I don't know much about Memphis. Is that a real comedy town? Uh, For to somebody, call it a comedy town would I would not call it a comedy town because there are not many. There are a lot of comics that have come up. There are a lot of uh, comics doing work there, and and a lot more like stand up nights than there was when I was there. When I was there, there was one comedy club, and the city can't really sustain a comedy club. Like there've been like four. No, it's in, the that, last same, in that same spot, and they all change names and shit like that. Yeah, but I mean, when I think of like a comedy community, like you know, a comedy hub or whatever term you use, it's like I think of like you know, you have like Chicago, New Berlin, York, all these Chicago, not, New York, L.A., Toronto, maybe like there's very few. Well, not many comics come out of Memphis and go and set up camp in a in like Chicago or New York or L.A. Um, there's some very funny comics who you know work on the road a lot and do that circuit. But there's also yeah. like a southern comedy circuit, right? Or well, there's there's comedy clubs throughout the southeast and there's a bunch of chains and uh there's comics there are definitely comics who are like only big in the south and that's what i was kind of there's like Eda May alluding this, to there seems it seems like and this goes with every kind of genre and every yeah. kind of art there's a real specific kind of niche thing going on down there maybe yeah like larry I, the cable guy i think is huge that's probably his demographic you know what i'm saying or yeah well someone like bill ingvall was huge in the south for a long time and somebody like I feel like you get uh, the South, you and I don't. I wouldn't even say more so than any other region, but the South has such an identity around it and such a like they want to rally around stuff. No, absolutely. Sometimes no, yeah, that yeah. if you have a, they have their own fucking You can flag. sell out. You can be. I mean, there's a bunch of comics that you know could that sell out like three thousand seat theaters, but no one knows who they are outside of the South. But they have huge followings. They sell massive amounts of tickets, and they you know uh, and and people love them. But it's they're completely regional. Totally, but it wasn't like growing up. You you had you were going to comedy clubs every weekend, and and there there was a comedy club when I wanted to start doing comedy. I emailed a comedy called comedy club called the Looney Bin Comedy Club, and that was in your in in Nashville or That's in, in Memphis. Memphis that was yeah, in yeah. Midtown Memphis, and they said I could go to my, the open mic night. I was fifteen at the time, and they said I could go to the open mic night if my parents accompanied me. So my parents <laughs> accompanied me to every open mic I did for like few years and, and i they was heckled like, the fuck out of you yeah right? man yeah. they were the worst just like all the shit that they knew what i was insecure about they, they so could they really push your it. buttons yeah yeah, yeah, yeah totally. like you went the bed like a week ago and i was like oh god i you know and that's no that's not inside true. I never, information i, I mean, never ever wet the bed <laughs> never <laughs> I don't um, opposite like you, you yeah. why, went other people's fucking beds or something yeah yeah i made other people wet their that's beds exactly that's yeah, how yeah. that's how not I, that's how much i didn't that's how confident you were in your bladder control yeah um but at 15 to to, to go okay to contact a comedy club like to go back a little bit uh, as a kid did you grow up very comedy minded like I was I grew up uh, I was an only child am an only child and I I don't know like there was an attention thing there so that kind of lends itself to the performing I think and then I think in ter- in terms of how I fit in with friends at school and I mean my dad is my dad values like people I, I kind of grew up around people valuing when you were funny or when you laughed at yourself or laughed at situations. So I came to value that as well. And then I think in school, that seemed to be the way that I wasn't super athletic. I wasn't the least athletic. Were you kid like, in the were world. you like a geeky kind of kid? Were you into comic I, books and, and that sort of stuff? I really wasn't or? that into comic books, but I was definitely like, like video a games. nerd, a nerdy kid. And I was kind of a like, and still remain like kind of a, a loner ish. 
So I didn't really have that many close, close. Oh friends. yeah, you rolled up on a motorcycle with a leather jacket, man. I yeah, was like, this yeah. guy's a lone wolf. Yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit what anybody says. Yeah, exactly. I don't even have a license for that. Thing. I don't give no. a shit what the law says. <laughs> um, so it doesn't even have exhaust on it. It just, it just pours out straight fucking black smoke. Yeah, yeah that's how no, you know he's coming. There's no muffler. It is an incomplete motorcycle. Exactly. And I, you know, it's gonna blow up one of these days. But that's, I don't care. I'm alone. It's, it's the way you live your life, man. And you have <laughs> since a young age, apparently. Yeah. Um. So, but, but growing up in high school, so it, comedy was it, it maybe not have been comedy specifically, but but being funny was definitely a part of your life. Yeah, I liked perform, and I would perform and stuff. I did like little like talent show type things, and um. I would, yeah, and I would always like, and that's kind of how I fit in socially with people. I'd be like a funny dude who was around, and so I would watch stand-up comedy on television and things like that, and that's what made me think like, oh, there are people who do that. Well, that's and, what I was going to yeah. say. At 15, seems such a young age to be aware of what you want to do. When did, when did that moment come where you, like, where you were like, not only do I want to be funny, but I can do that as a job? I never thought of it. I, I mean, I guess just the fact that I never thought it couldn't be a job necessarily. Like I knew performing was a thing. And then, you know, you, I would watch Comedy Central and there'd be half hour specials and they were playing this one, like Dana Carvey, hour long special, like broccoli ad one. nauseum. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, called Critics Choice. I think it was just on all the time and I would watch it and watch it and watch it and, and, and I would like repeat these stand up bits all the time. And so I knew that there were comedians out there doing it. And so I never really thought like, oh, that's not a thing. That's not an option. Um, and so, but then when I decided that I wanted to try and do stand-up comedy, my parents were super supportive. And I, my parents were very uh, good about like when I made up, when I was like, I think I want to do that. My dad's like, well, you should write jokes. And I was who, like, oh, okay. Who yeah. were your big influences at that age at 15 that made you be like, I want to get up there with a mic? I mean, I would watch, I watched a lot of Saturday Night Live. Um, I watched a lot of, uh, I watched the old Upright Citizens Brigade sketch show on Comedy Central. That was Comedy big for Central. me too. Yeah, that was kind of the defining, one of the defining moments for me at least as far as yeah. getting into comedy and, and was watching that show yeah, when I was I wish like, it had, I wish it had impacted me at the time grade. more than it had. Like I remember watching it and thinking it was funny, but I, I didn't really, I wasn't, I, I, it took me a while to wrap my mind around like a lot of weird humor. For like that, that, it was, it was, for me, it was like Mr. Show, uh, UCB, mm-hmm. Monty Python, and, and maybe like, uh, Mallrats or, or, or one of Quentin Tarantino's movies were like, I can remember the exact moment in my life, like where I was, how it impacted yeah. me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Kind of defining building blocks to, to the douchebag I am today or whatever. Yeah. I was mostly a Bugs Bunny cartoon guy. I watched, I watched a lot of cartoons and I watched too. a lot yeah. of sitcoms. I would watch a lot. I mean, I would watch, quite a few like Seinfeld and all these sitcoms that I would watch but in terms of stand up comics like I liked Seinfeld a lot when I was when I was like 15 I would like watch that when I was 15 I put I had, was still putting a lot of emphasis on being clean like being a a clean comedian and all that stuff uh-huh. as far as not curious, so it was yeah. like you had Cosby and Seinfeld that I don't was, know what that was I was doing own, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I valued that so much I think it probably had something to do with my parents I mean it is my, it is being a kid I wasn't I, and also well also I looked so young I looked like I look young for my age now, but I mean, at the time when I was 15, I looked probably without exaggeration, like 12 or 11. So me on stage was a big buy for like these, these, these comedy crowds really had to, uh, wrap their mind around me because I was like Wednesday, it's like nine 30 and there's a bunch of like average age is probably like 31 and they're all drinking and they're at the comedy club. And then I get up there with my little high pitched voice and I'm like five, two, five, one. And they're just like, what? the fuck is going on and and so i was kind of clean 
I think mostly to bow to that a little bit. I didn't want to like it'd be weird if I was like, you have you be eating that pussy and, and people would <laughs> or fucking all, look what happened late years later though. Like Bobby J and shit has a career out of saying fuck <laughs> because he's under the age of six. Sure. Um, but dude, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was actually thinking about that the other day. I think uh, it's got, I've gotten so far in my own fucking stuff that it's it's almost I almost think it would be a skill to be able to write clean comedy at this point. Yeah. To not rely. On, uh, you know what I mean? I think or it's not even rely, but not be able to. It's kind of like um, it's kind of an exercise almost. Like you, yeah. I think it's cool to not have. I, I think it's like if you're exploring an idea that it, I think it all depends on the idea, like the idea that you're exploring. Like there's some ideas that don't require it, and it would in fact be distracting to curse or be dirty Absolutely. or whatever. And then you're like, you don't you don't want anything distracting from whatever you're exploring. And then there's some ideas that are inherently like. Like a lot of the Derek sketches are like the ideas we're doing are pretty dirt. And like the, the idea of Mystery Team, that movie, the premise of it is these G-rated characters in an R-rated world. So you have to show the dirty, violent, whatever end of that for that contrast to no, read. Absolutely. So when it's something inherent to the premise like that, but if I was making, a, if I was writing a thing or, you know, making a, th- you know, a lot of stand-up, I don't curse that much in my stand-up. Well, I think the, the, the thing about really good stand-up and, or maybe really good clean stand-up as it were is that you don't notice that they're not cursing. Does that yeah. make any sense? Like, like Paul it Tompkins, I don't notice that he doesn't curse a lot. Totally. But then you listen to him talk about it and he, like, it's a conscious choice. And you think back and you're like, holy shit, he, d- he doesn't say the word fuck that often and yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't impair the bit. You yeah, know what you I'm saying? You don't feel like, oh, what a sack like just like howdy folks totally like, it's not no, you know no, no, it's still absolutely. very specific and very him and it feels very not i guess yeah specific genuine you know what i'm saying it feels yeah, genuine, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what was your first stand-up like when you were like 15 years old do you I, remember any of your of, of your jokes or bits when you were like 15 and working clean i did a three minute open mic set the first night um i i remember the first thing i well because i had my little three minute set figured out and then the uh, MC introduced me and he told me he was going to introduce me like this. Um, but he said, uh, he, he was going to introduce me as a, like, he's like, uh, you know, he's just being a local comedy club MC. He just like fucking around was like, I'm going to, he's like, all right, so this next guy is a NBA superstar. Please welcome (laughs) Dominic Dirk. And then I come up and the joke is that I'm so short and I'm, and I'm white. There's no way that's true. It's just, it's, hilarious. it's just yeah. the most, it's just the definition of irony, you know, that he set up for them. And so I go up, <laughs> I'm such a jerk to his joke. So I, I walk on stage and uh, I say, that's right, I'm Spud Webb's white son, which is like on a joke scale is like, yeah, okay, man. But they like loved it. They lost their minds over it because it was like, you know, an ad lib and a You were like, thing. fuck it. I'm going to be the Spud Web guy. I'm making t-shirts. Yeah, like, yeah. That's my I, they gimmick. were already printed up by the end of my set. I was exactly. I was an entrepreneur. Find me in the lobby. For- I pride myself on my business sense. I, I monetize everything. But they, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so I did that. And then my prepared joke wise, I had a, I had jokes about having a learner's permit. I had jokes about like... Uh, like I had jokes about those complete idiots guide books for dummies jokes where it's like why would you buy a joke a book that is insulting you and stuff like that just very it was me doing an impression of what I thought a stand-up comic should talk about so it was a lot of like 
stuff that I genuinely noticed and thought was funny and didn't think anyone else was particularly doing. But I would do like a bit about the Crocodile Hunter, a show that I didn't really watch, but just knew that people knew about him and knew that he was funny and watched enough to like make a joke about it. Something that I try not to do now as much. Craigie kills in this out though, dude. It still does. (laughs) I mean, I was doing a little accent, you know. I was was really getting into it. So at what point? And I knew. I don't know if we cut a few years. You wind up in uh, in my neck of the woods at NYU, right? I was at NYU for film school. How did how did you make the the transition though from from 15 years old? Did you so you were you you were doing comedy consistently? I was doing open mic night like once or twice. I mean, I was doing it a lot. And then I was and and uh, then I was emceeing, and then I would take summers and little chunks of weeks and go and tour through the southeast, like doing when you're in in a rogue comedy club. At there's like the 16, headliner, at like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, seventeen, those? eighteen. Uh, there's like a headliner who's normally someone who has TV credits, a middle act who's like a thirty does thirty minutes in front of him, and then a local MC. So I would either like be an MC that wasn't local and just travel around with guys, or I would middle and do like a half hour. So you're doing a half hour on the road at fucking 17 years, like two years into comedy? Yeah. I mean, it was it was a loose half hour. You know, if they didn't laugh, that it was probably bad, more like dude, 20 though. minutes. But, no, yeah. But um, still, you know what I mean? That's 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 pretty, yeah. that seems pretty quick in terms of, I know stand-up can sometimes be an arduous, like, like a real kind of horror story kind of thing. Do you have any of that or, or is it? I was I was pretty I I see I didn't do the um like a lot of rogue comics have horror stories of these one nighters and things that were you know but I and I would did some that were bad gigs but not in a fun way where you because, could talk stories well, I was yeah, pretty yeah. insulated from it I'm like 17 years old and like you find out and I look like a kid I am a kid I'm very naive I haven't really experienced anything outside of like southeast white people and so you you find that people are very protective of the like no one's putting no one's doing drugs in front of me they or didn't, doing they didn't anything let you weird. into the cocaine room yeah no no audience is heckling me they're like we'll wait until the kid gets off stage it'll be fine i like that like, like no they one's were, that comedy club audiences were like sweet to you they're like oh oh and all these comics these rogue comics who everyone's like oh that guy's an animal he's a prick or like hey man you all right like, like, <laughs> like it brings out the fraternal or, cool, i never had a dad i want to make sure you're okay no absolutely and, uh, the stand-up so, so, son they never had yeah, yeah they so start no, writing you into bits and shit like my son right. Dominic over here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I was like nice and sincere, and I really just wanted the, to do good jokes, and you know, I wasn't a jerk to anybody, so everyone was cool with me. But I, I, uh, yeah, so I would do those. I would do a lot of those road gigs, and then I would also in my high school I started doing making videos. I basically I commandeered our like closed circuit TV station, so I was making ske- like basically man on the street short sketch videos that uh, me and a couple of my friends uh, would would do. And those and are pre- what got me. This is pre-internet, right? Or uh, yeah, I mean, the internet consisted of hamster dance. <laughs> that was a big deal. Someone made a someone made a website of this is gonna make me this is gonna make me sound old to some kid, but there's uh, there was a website called Hamster Dance. It was just hamsters dancing to yeah, a, dude, I remember a stupid song. Like GIF website, yeah, yeah or, and it was animated gifs. It was a rows and rows of these animated gifs, and the whole point was that it was repetitive and obnoxious. And so then I, <laughs> so then someone in our school made a uh, teacher dance of Brother Robert. Brother Robert was dancing. Oh, you because you went to a, you went to a Catholic I boy went to Christian school, Brothers Christian High School. Yeah, it was a Lasallian school. Where all the where all the top comedy minds seem to come from, right? <laughs> what Catholic school? No, yeah, absolutely. Lasallian school specifically. Christian Brothers Salient. What's a Salient school? Lasallian is uh, Saint John Baptist de Lasalle, founded an order of brothers who uh, devoted their lives to teaching. Oh, that's so there real are thousands of Lasallian schools across the world, 
and they are brothers who are not priests, but they take in. This is fascinating, but they take in order. They take vows of. Oh, dude, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. I know nothing of this. Yeah. Please, it is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. They take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and they dedicate their lives to teaching. Poverty, chastity, and so they don't make any money doing it. No, they don't make money. I mean, their house, their housing is provided for. I mean, it, they they're like, we'll um, throw you a couple bucks, but like, like the thi- like, there's a car that they drive, but it's all communal. Like, you don't right see on. a brother with like, you know. An iPhone necessarily. That's that. You're, mean, not, gonna, sure. you're not going to catch yeah. your brother, brother Robert, playing Angry Birds during a sermon or whatever. No, 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 no. You're not going to catch them doing that. But I mean, the the school was very technological and, and everything like that. But the brothers, it's about living in this community and everything's taken care of, and the elderly ones are taken care of by the younger ones. It's kind of a nice thing, but they're not so cloistered that they're... And it, it just seems so funny that coming from the South, which is kind of notoriously conservative, and then, and then yeah. coming from like a from an all-boy uh, Christian school, that, that the comedy that you do came out from that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... Do you think I it's was, in reaction to that almost at all, or no? I think there was... I mean, I certainly had like... Uh, sheltered aspect of my life that I like in college I didn't really blow hard like I didn't go like crazy but there was a lot like New York was great for me because it was very you know you have to kind of decide to be cool with stuff that you like haven't seen or experienced a lot of every then, almost every day yeah, yeah almost for, every for a day. while yeah and yeah. it's not the biggest deal in the world it's pretty like You're like i think i can deal with tranny midgets like yeah, that doesn't confront yeah. my worldview too much and then <laughs> before you know it you're comfortable with tranny midgets oh, you're working before you know no, it no, no, you're totally. dating a you tranny are midget. and then cut to 20 years later you are a tranny midget and, yeah 20 yeah. years later i've lopped my i've lopped my <laughs> knees off i'm a fucking tranny midget no totally and i'm proud of it i'm bleeding to death but i'm god damn it i'm proud to be what i am god bless New York, man. Yeah, but but so how did you get to New York? So if you're if that that's kind of if you were doing so, it seems like if you were doing so well at like 17, you're already on the road. You're doing comedy all the time. W- was college always a 100 percent kind of thing? Because it seems like you almost could have just cut to working in comedy. College was a. I wanted to go to a city. I wanted to go to. It was about me going to a city where I could do more stuff. I didn't want to spend all my time on the road. And and now looking back on it, I'm really glad I did. Yeah, no, 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 totally. Because it's like a different thing. It can become like working cruise ships where you just have the same, and it's all drinking and stuff. And so I was I was like L.A. or New York, pretty much, or Chicago, maybe. Decided not to do. Not, I didn't apply to Northwestern. I applied to NYU and USC, and I applied to NYU early decision. And if I hadn't gotten into NYU or USC. I, there would, had been a half discussion with my parents where it's like I don't know, maybe I just start doing comedy somewhere. I wouldn't have been ready for that. I would have. That would have been a bad idea if at eighteen I just moved to New York to give it a go, and I had not go to school and not go to school. I didn't have the discipline, or I would have washed out. You went somewhere. You went to Tisch for filmmaking. Yeah, I went to NYU for film and television production. How did that? How did that go? I liked it. I met. I mean, that's where I met Dan. That's where Derek. That's where Derek came from, right? Dan Ekman, the Derek comedy director, and. Uh, Maggie McFadden, the producer. I met them. I met Dan like practically on the first day of film school, and I met Maggie very shortly thereafter. And we worked together on stuff in NYU. NYU is cool. They were good about letting you make your movie. It's certainly not the only way to learn how to make filmmaking by a long shot. No, totally. But it's it was it fostered creativity. So when you met Dan and Maggie, who are now who are now married, right? Actually, That's right. They got married in July. Cool. So every. Uh, did you guys immediately click in terms of sense of humor, like working relationship sort of thing? Uh, Dan and I were, I think Dan and I connected, uh, we haven't really talked about this, but I think Dan and I connected 
on a, a level of kind of uh, shared disgust at a lot of pretension. At, which at, which at you see school? a lot at, and especially NYU. Yeah. I mean, maybe not especially, but like from living oh, in East NYU. Village, there's a lot of like kids who sh- should be wearing berets. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like. Well, there's well, and many do. No, yeah, many do right. wear berets. There are, there are a few uh, berets. They, they say I should wear a beret, and then instantly they do. Uh, they hand <laughs> they're them out. Go, like, they're go-getters like that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they're, they're wearing berets and reading the Laramie Project in the park. But uh, we, and, uh, it's not almost not an exaggeration, though. No, that, we, that was required reading before Laramie our Laramie Project. Year. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, but we kind of bonded. I think over. I mean, we Beth, we def, I really wanted to make comedy, and I think Dan did too. But I think more to the point, it was, it was, it wasn't so much that as it was. We didn't want to. Every every fucking student film is super. I mean, our joke about it is that it's like it's like uh, there's like suicide is noble, homeless people are golden wisdom fountains, or it's and like a flower wilting in a flower reverse, wilting, and shouldn't the elderly be just like weird, heavy-handed, like like commentaries, or just super like think like you know what it is? It's thinking that something is a big deal when it's not. It's, it's making thinking things that, important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like a girl's trying to make it in the big city, but she's not sure if she can. So. She goes home and drinks, and then she has a weird sexual experience with this guy, and he leaves, and she stares off out the window, and you're just like, who cares? Like, rarely is there a blowjob joke in an NYU student film. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we were really the old... We encountered one or two other people making comedies as their projects, but not many, and a couple of them who did, I wish I'd continue, but made, like, serious stuff after that, just because I think think what I honestly found, I mean, this is kind of a cop-out, I guess, but, like, it's really hard to have a five-minute film where you... If you're not really skilled, where you make someone really care in a very dramatic way about these characters that they've just been introduced to, but you can do a five minute. We were making little sketches. I mean, totally. we didn't have a vocabulary for it at the time or a or, or a, a way of approaching it. And but I think it was, it, it's kind of rare that you guys. I, I I don't know many people that went to film school for comedy film. You know what I, I mean? I went to, as far as I was concerned, I was going to Dominic's a comedian school, and I <laughs> took film and television production because there was a lot of classes that seemed cool and it seemed. And it was I, I the dramatic writing department. I probably wouldn't have gotten into, I, I would guess. But it was uh, if I had known all the facts, I probably would have taken dramatic writing. But I'm glad I did film. I've used a lot of that stuff. That no, absolutely. And just being I mean, on you guys went right to, to video sketches. So, so you're at NYU taking all these classes. You meet um, Maggie and Dan. Did you guys start immediately? Um, doing stuff or we we started well the summer of our freshman year. You kind of. You kind of have a your hands tied a little, a little bit your freshman year. But as soon as they start make, letting us make movies, I was in a bunch of the ones that Dan made. The summer of his freshman year, he uh, he like he was in what's called Sight and Sound Film and made a bunch of you know shorts. And we would come up with the stories of them. And the stories is a loose term. We'd come up with what was going to happen and then shoot it and you know record the audio for. It. And there were jokes and they were silly and uh, but they were like little they were little self contained sketches that we made. And then. We made a cut uh, for uh, junior year. We yeah, pretty much the entirety of film school. Anytime I made something that was that I even remotely took seriously, Dan was involved in it uh, as well as Maggie. She was producing stuff. She didn't go to NYU, but she was, you know, always she transferred to Fordham oh, shortly into her college no, no, career yeah, yeah. and uh, started pr- was producing stuff. And yeah. Now, at what point do um, DC Pearson and Donald Glover come into the picture, which rounds out Derek, right? That, that's the, the five. The five yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's four dead ones that we do not talk about, <laughs> but there are five. They didn't make it very long. Yeah. They were all drummers, incidentally. 
They were all drummers? They were all the drummers of Derek. They died. were the drummers yeah. of Derek. And then we went, I mean, there was a day where we went, why do we need drummers? We're comic yeah, Exactly. We have, they all just keep dying. Yeah, I mean, well, they keep dying and they just want to make music and bang on the drum and we're trying to do comedy. They can't act. They bring nothing to the table. We're like, just give us an idea other than snare tap, buddy. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, I was like, go join a band. That was my big thing with them. Go join a band or start one. So and every time them. you said that, they so left the room and them. died. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, they died. They took your advice. So, oh. <laughs> to, but to answer your question seriously, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, we we uh, so I joined. I auditioned freshman year for this group called college sketch comedy group called Hammercats. Hammercats would go on to have monthly shows and continues to have monthly shows at NYU. And then we, uh, uh, the, for the kind of core nine of us that were around for the inception of the group went and, uh, <laughs> uh, went and did sketch shows every week at UCB. Is that how for you got, is that how you got, is so that's first where I introduced met Donald. to UCB, at UCB? Well, no, we were, I was starting to take improv classes at UCB and some so of us were starting to muck so around. You, so you started, there. before you were doing sketch work there, you did take improv classes and stuff like that? I was, I took like an improv and sketch 101 class in January of 03 and I had auditioned for Hammercats in like October of 02. Okay. So they were so very overlapping. Close enough, yeah, yeah. And so uh, we started, so that's where I met Donald. Donald and I were in that first cast. We auditioned and we're, you know. For Hammercats, yeah. For yeah. Hammercats. And so then we put on like monthly shows and felt like we were doing very good work at times like there was some really good stuff in there and everybody who was in that first in that core group of nine that kind of became this professional group was a moniker that was <laughs> put on there but uh that group that continued to run shows at UCB like everyone pretty much still works and is still involved for the most part and like you know Doug and uh, Doug Mand and Dan Greger are uh, writers for How I Met Your Mother, Absolutely, and, yeah. and uh, you know, everyone's still involved. So, but we uh, and then DC came on the following year. Like we did shows all throughout the spring semester. It's the Hammercats. Yeah, and then that next fall, DC was in Hammercats, and then Hammercats was. We were just doing a bunch of random shows around. We were putting up, we put up like two monthly sketch show reviews. We tried to go to festivals at some points, and you know, tried to seize opportunities at various avenues of, you know. Uh, our, you know, like we saw a lot of like, you know, oh, we gotta, we gotta put a sketch together for the show because somebody from NBC might be, you know, there's a lot of that chasing no, like totally. opportunities that aren't really opportunities. And, uh, then Donald and DC and I started writing a lot within, uh, ourselves within Hammercats is a nine person group. So people were writing, kind of forming little, but it's hard to fucking write a sketch as nine yeah, people. Yeah, you can't yeah. do it. No one was doing that. It That's was almost crazy. a sketch idea in itself. Nine Which people writing a sketch the together. Beginning of the end for that group, I feel like was that nine people was just unwieldy. It was an unfocused point of view artistically. It's nine people. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Harvard sailing team is like an 11, 10 person sketch group, nine person sketch group, but they, have a very, very specific point of view, I feel like, as a group, so it works for them. Hammercats was kind of like, you know, three or four sensibilities that were shuffling themselves. So into every a sketch show. would every sketch would be different and there wasn't a through line kind of by uh, the there end, would or? be I mean it, the sketches were still good and people had input on each other's stuff, but you got to, you get to a point where you go, Well, why am I you get to a point where you want to kind of do your own thing unimpeded. Absolutely. And yeah, so yeah. at a certain point this nine person group splintered off and uh uh Donald DC and I uh, started writing our own sketches to shoot with Dan and Maggie. And, uh, that's kind of when the five of us started doing that and actually formalizing it and putting up a website and going off and like scheduling it and really actually you know, putting work. Yeah. Well, it. actually being like, okay, so we want to regularly put out sketches. So we're going to go this weekend. We're going to shoot four in New Hampshire. We're going to come back. We're going to release them on this schedule and then put two up at a time and put, you know, whatever we're going to do. Now, what was the first sketch you guys released under Derek? Well, 
I mean, we did some like stupid things where we sang alternate theme songs to cartoons. That, <laughs> uh, is uh, called yeah. So those went up uh, to to much acclaim. I mean, we won a uh, fake Emmy for those. Absolutely, and a non-real uh, Academy blockbuster. Award. blockbuster a, non- a non-real it? blockbuster award. And a and faux academy, there we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. faux academy award. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> no, we put those up and like whatever, people saw them, some people didn't. We played them in live shows. So then we had a bunch of stage sketches that we had written uh, when Donald DC and I were directing and running and Dan was directing the videos for this uh, the college group. Okay. Once a bunch of people had graduated, we were running this college group and there was like a year where there it was a lot of actors but not many people were writing, so we were writing a lot of these shows and we had this whole backlog of sketches, most pretty much all of which that we were happy with went into like I would say half of those for pretty much half of the Derek sketches now were the probably back- probably like night like ninety percent of the first twenty were the were, yeah were just stuff that we'd done on stage that worked and was had you know was translated into video but uh, yeah so then uh, yeah so we started putting sketches up the first one you asked was I consider the first one to be daughters. Because that was the first one that we went and kind of shot as Derek. I think we put Diet Coke with Lime, which is a commercial parody up before them, but that had been shot for a Hammercats NYU show. So Daughters, I would I would claim is the first one. Uh, Off the bat, though, you guys have had had amazing kind of production value, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with with Dan's directing. But but yeah. it, 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 right off the bat, Derek's stuff looked better than 99 percent of the other sketch groups out there on the internet, and that was. And they were always funny, but it was always just like, how the fuck did they get a grocery store? How did they, you know what I you mean? You know, to give, to, I think what that speaks to is, you know, uh, I think at the time, and the, I think you, there's, you still see this, it was viewed, any sketch group that was going to shoot their video, which wasn't as many. Now, if you're a sketch comedy group and you have a short video idea, you shoot it absolutely. There's no, but there, was, there wasn't there was that vibe where it's like, of course you shoot it and put, it, put it online, it on why YouTube. wouldn't you? No, it yeah. was like, well, that's a lot of work, and who's even going to see it, and what's YouTube? And so... Uh, Where do I? But, how but, do I get online? And so people who did would just hire, you know, to, like, hey man, you got a camera? Come shoot our thing. And like, no one would really. Would you wouldn't a- get someone who knew what they were doing. And production value wise, it would be it would be low or okay or like, oh, this would be funny if it looked like you know a movie looks. And I think that's what you get from having someone like Dan, who was not somebody that we brought on to shoot our videos. He was part of the group. They were all of our videos. So as such, he was, you know, as being around for the inception of them and for the, you know, kind of like understanding the story of them as Maggie does as well, which was all of that was a big help on mystery team. But with the sketch videos, it's like he puts the shots together in a way that tells the story, but has a distinct, he has a distinct style as a director. He's not just a shooter. Yeah. And the ones that are genre parodies, he puts work into making it look like the genre and ones that like, it's not just like handy cam for no reason. You know, everything has, is thoughtful. And I think that. There's a lot of places doing that now, and college humor and funnier. Die. Absolutely, I mean, there's a nowadays, lot of people, nowadays sketch, sketch, they put people put money into sketches. I feel like that's the status quo now. Is that you have a thought, you have a good director. Yes, yeah, so they have crane shots and shit. And, but I, I mean, I, in addition to the fact that I think Dan is an a, a, an excellent director in in and of itself, in and of himself, and Maggie is an excellent producer. I think it was also it was that compounded with that there just wasn't At that there time, weren't that yeah. many sketch groups putting out videos, and the ones that were were a lot of like. 
lip syncing videos and stuff. And there were just other people groups. in their apartments always. Like some just... like whitest kids were putting out videos that they that that looked good and that they were taking. You know, and I think a lot of those groups ended up getting. No, those are the groups that got ways. picked up first. Yeah. Totally. And the, the other cool thing, as far as as Dan goes, is you can kind of watch the evolution of his work as a director from the Mystery Team sketches all the way, I mean, excuse me, from the Derek sketches all the way to Mystery Team, which is a phenomenally shot first feature film, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think and we all get better at everything. That's what I mean. Know? Yeah, everyone in the, in the group, see, you can watch your guys' personal growth kind of online for sure, free, which is sure. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a very... If you want to be creepy. I mean, I'm not like <laughs> horrid. I mean, there's a couple sketches that I'm embarrassed about just in terms of like, not, I don't think that, that we, they never should have gone up, but I looked at it like, ah, oh, better if that wasn't a thing. But... There's, you know, a lot of the sketches early on, even that I think are good, are not reflective of what we would do now. Absolutely, but they're still... but uh, still yeah, important well, because they, may, you know what I mean. Yeah. DC, DC has a metaphor for it. I think it's DC's where he was talk. He talks about how I mean, because Dan and I were in film school, and we're making videos, and all of us were making sketches, and we spent hours and hours and endless, just dedicated like three full years of our time to doing that. And then suddenly, the internet's a thing, and people want to watch short videos online. It was like we had been just sharpening swords on spec for years. And then someone was like, <laughs> "Hey, the Crusades are a thing." Hey, the Crusades, and we're like, "Oh, we got all these swords. No, then, no, we exactly. know how to do this. You this guys were fun. prompted and, and ready in the t- right time in the right place." And to, we were just to... doing it because those were the tools available to us. And also, there was a practical side of it where we ran like two full-length sketch shows at UCB for a combined total of like a year and a half to two years. Oh, totally. And you go. You go, well, how many people saw the show? You know, if on good nights, you know, 50 people a night. And you go, well, how many people will see it if I put it online? It lasts forever. It's so much easier to get people to watch it's, it. It's, and that happened to me with the podcast thing, too, at least, in terms of um, it, 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 it might be a bad thing in a sense, but like I hate wasting anything now. Yeah. I want to be microphone 24 7 because, <laughs> oh, you, yeah. know what, you know what I mean? Well, in terms of like, yes, like you could do a great show for one audience and they'll love it that night, but, but that's it. It, die, it dies right there, which is cool and noble and yeah. pure. But the concept of, of everything you do being able to live forever now, kind of, and, and have new people discover it every single day, like that's what kind of excites me most about the new media thing, at least. Yeah. And we never viewed it, and we never, we always viewed it as like all the sketches we were like, wanted them to be done and final because they were going to go up in front of people. It was never like, well, let's just put everything up. It was, I mean, there's like an entire sketch that we shot that we will never put up that we shot like years ago. But, uh, uh, the, that, lo- the lost Derek sketch. Yeah. 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 There's a lost Derek sketch. It's called ghost jacket and it's, uh, <laughs> it's not good. And anyone who's thinking to themselves right now, like, Oh, I killed a How that ghost sketch. jacket. Not be good, man. Anyone, anyone who's like, 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 oh man, I'd love to see that. I bet it's great. You would be so disappointed. <laughs> it's so we would have put it out if we thought no, it was totally, good. And yeah, then we yeah. lost the tape. <laughs> the tape's gone. So, so it's literally it. the so lost. There's literally fucking, no yeah, yeah. way you'll it's ever see it. It's actually the lost Derek tape. Now, yeah, yeah, it's um. I guess it's basically the Hangover. No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is that what, what I, the premise oh, I guess of Ghost Jacket was? I guess that reads like no. an insult for the Hangover. I just wanted it to be a non sequitur, but it sounds <laughs> like I don't like the Hangover. What's um? What's your favorite? Some of your favorite sketches that that, that you guys did. I like, I really liked our recent, uh, I liked Gink a lot. The, I mean, I kind of am more of a fan of our most recent stuff a lot of times. Of course, yeah. Uh, I like Gink a lot because, I mean, I like Gink because it's like different for us in a lot of ways. Like it's very, it's kind of a quiet sketch and it's very weird and very conceptual and not super active. In, in, Which in, is in its a lot execution. of you guys, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, I think there, there's a lot done in the way we blocked it and shot it to make it not boring, but I don't think it's super like adrenaline y. Uh, I like uh, I like the don't jerk off to this. I, I, love, I like the I like don't jerk off. This is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> oh, thanks, I mean, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's 
I like those because I feel like those are more in our voice than Would most you, because they're they're more they're more strange and we have more of a handle on. Are that those stuff. almost Derek 2.0? Because if, if I'm wrong, sure. those are the two post mystery team sketches. Those, right? We shot them in L.A. We moved out to L.A. and so shot those them are your, in the, the boy band sketch as well. The music video we shot yeah, yeah. out here. Uh, we shot the Gemberling sequences with John Gemberling in New York. Like a while ago, but uh, it, it yeah, yeah. Well, after Mystery Team, we moved out of here, shot some sketches with uh, just to get back into that, and also with an eye towards bringing our internet presence so back to promote the movie. Do you think uh, that the, there's a difference now after having made a feature film, which we'll get into in a minute, informing the sketch work you guys are doing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, our standards were higher. We shot those three sketches on the red. We have we I mean, lit, yeah. we had somebody <laughs> we had somebody there lighting. We paid more attention to that stuff. I mean, there's. Our standards for ourselves have gotten infinitely higher. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, we no longer, I don't think, have any interest in shooting a sketch where, unless it's like completely warranted, where it's like Dan behind the camera pushing a dolly on PVC pipe and me holding a boom. Like, I think we're kind of. You're grow, you're being the grown yeah, up. And our ideas, yeah, yeah. I think, are bigger than that. Our ideas would require more of a, of a level of, a higher level of execution that we would have to put more time into. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, bro rape was the first thing to really blow that up, was, right? Yeah, I mean the the first few sketches got like whatever, you know. I don't even know, but like we weren't even looking at the views because it didn't matter. No, exactly. Yeah. And then bro rape got we we. It's an eight and a half minute sketch, which uh, it is an eight and a half minute sketch, it's, isn't it? It's fucking long. Which man. is like they tell you in, that they're like never make a sketch more than three minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. And I go, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. No, yeah, you're like bro rape bigger than fucking Micronesia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro rape is actually the seventh largest economy That's in the world. That's what I'm saying, man. An economy, bro- like money it brings in, exports, it exports, uh, exports what, are, what are the top uncomfortable rape, rape topics? Rape. And it <laughs> imports, uh, <laughs> furniture. It imports, uh, weird comments that I, even if when they're favorable, no, I prefer to distance myself from. Uh, no, the bro rape got linked to, oh, so we, we made it, uh, we were hosting this monthly show called Outtakes where we were, we were, no, it was, yeah, called Outtakes where we, uh, would screen sketch videos from friends of ours. We were having to beg people to give us videos, and no one had them. And that's how different. If we did that show now, we'd have forty videos. You'd have everyone every month. in the fucking audience it give would, you yeah. ten videos off their phone. And also, yeah. there's a little hole in the show where it's like, wait, I'm going to a theater to watch something I could watch online, and it's like, ah, what a jerk you are. I, we did that for we did not that. coming to the show, uh, we've, we've, and we've, also, you're completely right. We've done that there. <laughs> we've done that here once, and someone wrote. Uh, <laughs> What was the comment? They were like, thanks, Smodcastle. Next time I'll just watch YouTube, you fucking assholes. Uh, yeah. Well, they didn't have to call you assholes, but they had a point. But it was also like, <laughs> yeah, but YouTube wasn't going to present it for you like, well, yeah, like I yeah. did, man. I added a theme song, you fucking Well, when bastard. you watch it on YouTube, I'm not there. No, exactly. That's my pitch. Color- I'm not there. I should be. So <laughs> so um, we made it for this show. It was supposed to air as a runner in three chunks throughout the show. Through technical problems, we weren't able to mobilize it in time for the show. We were really bummed about it because we spent a lot of time on it. We thought it was very funny. And so we strung it together, put it on YouTube, and then I think Dan emailed uh, our friend Streeter at College Humor. like the front page editor at College Humor. Still works there and uh, a very funny dude. Um, was like, hey, can you like link this and put it on their hot links? He, he linked it on their front page. Uh, absolutely. On the front page of College no, no. Humor, he linked Bro Rape, and it went to the YouTube page. And then it just went... 
super viral for I hate using that word so much because it's so viral. Yeah, because because you're spreading disease and pestilence across the no, land. No, because it's comedy. such a buzzword. It's such a like, dude. And then this goes viral, and then we all walk away winner. It's like I hate. <laughs> it's like like Web 2.0. Well, how do you shit. how do you prefer to to, to describe the problem? What is happened. there's no other way to describe right. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it got a lot of views, and we, and, we went. And that's where we started to see the like you know it got posted on blogs, who reposted it, who reposted it, and then you start getting everyone. Friend, you know, sending it to their friends or well, I mean, however it spread, and I feel I think the reason that one as well, in addition to I think it's a funny video, and I think it gave a word to something like bros and quantified something that certainly wasn't the first time that it happened, but was a time, and I think it allowed people to participate. People would be like, "Oh, I know guys like that," or "These are bros to me," or whatever. They look and in I the mirror that, and they're like, oh, like oh, "I am, I am a bro." Yeah, yeah, I'm a bro man. Good, yeah, and let people play along and be like, "I was bro rape. I'm gonna bro rape you," which is like not pleasant, but, no, but you it, know, it, certainly better than thing. regular rape, I guess. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, Most things are better than yeah, like, just good old reg- fashion rape. standard mish rape. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So oh. we got, um, yeah, so that video was our first, that gave us a foundation. What was it like watching that thing go like 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 million? I mean. It was, it was, uh, you kind of don't, you kind of don't relate that to people, to be honest. You can, or I didn't. Um, maybe I'm speaking for myself as as a sociopath. I didn't know yeah. those views were people. You're like, I thought they were cats. I thought they were instruments no, that no, were yeah. just helping. No, but I would, I would watch, yeah, yeah, you just push refresh and you read comments, which is, Oh God! Don't do that! Don't read comments. I got into it again with my I, with the podcast. My, uh, not a good the podcast. Idea. I started reading the iTunes reviews and then I went, idea. "What the fuck?" I remembered long ago. I don't do this. I did that. I did that too with mine. I think like fourth episode in, I actually responded to a negative comment. Oh, and I was oh like, no! I can't you can't ever, go there. I can't dude. ever fucking do that. The abyss doesn't just stare back. It slaps no, no, you in no, your exactly, face. Exactly, dude. Yeah, but yeah, I don't even check the ratings. I mean, you got to kind of just do something and put it out there and not. Yeah. So, but I was still reading college. I was still reading YouTube comments. People, like, you're funny or not funny, you know. And then, um, yeah, you watch the views go up and you're just watching it and you're hitting refresh and it's just a counter and you're just, you're just being like, oh, cool. And it wasn't until we had a handful of those videos that were getting good views and you start going to colleges and doing shows or going around and people or get recognized at all. You go, oh, right. Those were people. You're the bro rape guy or you're the, <laughs> those yeah, are people yeah. who are watching this. That's no, totally. Um, how so, was it the first time someone in public was like, bro rape guy? It was great. It was Except awesome. For- it remain, it was what it remains to, I don't have a memory of it the first time it happened. But it was what it remains to this day, which is like super flattering and cool, and uh, you know, people. Some some people are jerks and want to like, you know, and some people are awkward. But like, you always appreciate the sentiment of that that someone likes Absolutely, what bro. you do. So, um, but yeah, the uh, you know, getting hollered at on the street wasn't so much. A, I, I guess we get started recognized around UCB or around uh, NYU a little bit. And then some of, some of the other Derek sketches, just to touch on, because you guys have done so many. I mean, what's the, what are some of your other favorites? I mean, some of my, my personal ones are the Quentin Tarantino, uh, the buying <laughs> the buying beer one. Yeah, yeah, uh, that came out of an improv scene. Yeah, I enjoy that one. That's a fun. And weird that one. was that was, and then that was one of the early ones, right? Or that that was a good one for us because that was featured on the front page of YouTube because it was clean. I think there's no cursing really in it, so they featured it. And that's where we found out that and, YouTube people liked us. <laughs> and that was the, the one where I was like, holy shit, they got a store to shoot a sketch in. I was like, <laughs> yeah, we were in New Hampshire. I was like, how are people doing that? Like every, I was like, up to that point, every sketch was in my apartment. Like it was the same wall. You know what uh, I mean? Dan and I had shot two. Well, New Hampshire's, Manchester, New Hampshire is very nice town. Where to you shoot guys wound up, shooting, uh, shot, wound up shooting Mystery Team too, yeah, right? D- Dan yeah. and I shot two rounds of, of, 
like two weekends or worth of um, short films there for college. And then we shot three. I think that when we shot in that convenience store for Mystery Team, I think that was the fourth or fifth time we had shot there. <laughs> like we have, yeah, yeah. like that place is our. They know you in New Hampshire by this point. That dude knows <laughs> us very well. Uh, we set off his fire alarms. He laughs about it. It's great. So, um, so yeah, but no, they, they didn't, um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that one was good. I liked, uh, Girls Are Not To Be Trusted. I enjoy a lot because it's kind of based on film school stuff that Dan and I experienced. Uh, I enjoy, uh, New Bike was one that I felt New like was a was cool awesome. no, yeah. turning point for us as a group because that was one that didn't come out of, a backlog of sketches. It came out of an improv scene that we adapted and that a lot of the human, that could not be a stage sketch. That has to be a video sketch. And I think that was a threshold for us where it's like, this has to be like all of our ideas started to be ones that could really only be videos like the, uh, uh, memory loss or Dick Mento, depending on where you saw it. <laughs> uh, that one is one that could only be a video. And we started coming up with those in a way. Uh, and I thought that was a cool turning point for the group. Uh, so yeah, as I like far the, as bike the evolution. a lot. Yeah. Um, you just brought up a good segue, though, in terms of improv. Uh, you, you're an improviser from the Upright Citizens Brigade, and, mm-hmm. and you just said, um, do you find often a lot of your ideas now come out of things you've improvised? Uh, well, when we used to do a monthly improv show at UCB in New York, Derek did. Now we improvise with a larger group called Shitty Jobs. You guys have Shitty Jobs at UCB LA. Absolutely. But when we did it in New York, sometimes you would walk away from scenes and be like, is there anything to keep? And you look at, you keep really fundamental, like, comedic ideas like, like the game that new the bike actual, thing no, that yeah, yeah. new bike thing was an improv scene but it was not quite like that in a lot of ways it was worse because we were improvising it so then you sit down and go what is the actual game of this what are we playing with here and then you build the beats around that um but i don't think we come up with sketches i mean we haven't shot sketches in a little while but like i think that our general the five of us dynamic which is very alienating to anyone trying to have a conversation with the five of us is just very, we just kind of like bit around a lot and joke around and like improvise, improvise with each other in just the most, the most socially unhealthy ways. And you kind of end up coming up with sketches or just things that are reverse engineered. Like that Dick Mento sketch, that memory loss sketch came about purely from Donald pretending to miming, sucking a dick and then looking surprised <laughs> as if he didn't know what he was doing and then from that we worked backwards from why would that happen no, that's awesome probably man. dc or somebody had that so uh, you I, you've kind of hit like every gamut of comedy in terms of like uh sketch, yeah i've done it all sketch, stand up improv you're a comedy writer now as <laughs> yeah, well yeah, we'll talk about a, you write, yeah. you write, uh, can, we, can we discuss that yeah or? it's called alan gregory it's a your current animated. gig right yeah you're working on an animated an animated writing for an animated tv show yeah it's an animated half hour sitcom that's going to be on fox next fall in october it's jonah hill's like uh, co-created it and he's the lead voice in it and yeah there's a seven episode order that's awesome, for that first dude. season so yeah uh, and you've also worked in the past for like Onion News Network I and was one of the first staff writers of that Onion News Network and uh, yeah. the Rob, Rob Dryduck show right? or Rob uh, Dyrdek yeah Deirdre. Fantasy Factory that was two weeks of DC and I went in the same couple weeks actually and uh, brainstormed uh, you know writing for Fantasy Factory is very much like combining nouns to <laughs> to for him to do it's you know uh a uh, fish cannon and then you go well, what would that even mean and then you think about it, do it. You, then yeah. you go fish if i thought of fish cannon a couple years ago i would have pitched it <laughs> you just kind of you know anything canon was great was, speaking of canon you also wrote for a nick cannon show right <laughs> i free yeah i said i said sketch ideas to short circuits uh uh with um yeah for that was fun <laughs> Cause I, me, DC and I were both submitting for like emailing submissions to that too. And 
We were just submitting puns. This is a sketch I sold them that I think they made and I think aired. I never saw it. But uh, around the time of Yo Mama, I sent uh, a sketch title called Yo Sama that was a Yo Mama <laughs> battle with Osama Bin Laden. It's the best idea. It's uh, the greatest yeah, sketch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't think that anyone was going to – it's so stupid. And they were like, that's what we want. He called me on the phone. Like, like, we want to make it a feature. Call called me on the phone like, this is the type of stuff we want. This is great. And so I was like, oh, God, this is the worst thing. <laughs> so I wrote it, and then they shot some version of it that I never saw. And then – Oh man, it got it got sad. It got weird for that show. That get that EP called the executive producer called me like <laughs> like four weeks later, and they would buy occasionally some ideas that I would send them, and then like he's like, "So we're in our last week of shooting. Do you have any ideas that could be done with like uh no crew or <laughs> lights or like just like cameraless a handy idea. cam in like a park would be great. Like clearly they're out of money. Shadow puppets. What do yeah, you got for yeah. us? Yeah. It's something where we could t- in an afternoon shoot like 10 of them. He wanted like, like, so like yeah. Nick Cannon's park tales. And then he says four lines at a park. And then I'm like, I don't know. Okay, man, I'll think about it. But it was very desperate. It was, it was very. Uh, it was not okay. What's your um? So so you've written for television. You you uh, sketch stand up improv. You've 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 acted in feature films. Um, do a podcast now. What's what? What do you enjoy the most in terms of all the different kinds of comedy? Uh, they all speak to different sensibilities of my. Like I like improvising a lot. I like doing the shitty job show a lot uh, every Sunday because you. Can it really speaks that part of my brain that really just wants to show up and do a show without preparation? You Welcome show up. to this fucking podcast. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're using the same part. No, yeah, yeah um, exactly. Where you just show up with your friends, you get a suggestion, and then you just make stuff up long form improv because uh, that's the thing people out there might know UCB uh, like um, I think IO and, and who else does long form uh, long form improv was, few, was wait, an improv you, olympic thing how essentially would you, how would you describe uh, long form versus m- most people when they think of improv I think they think of short form and games and like uh, whose line is it anyway and like alright you're a wacky dentist and you're a mountain named cliff and you're on a golf trip like, there's, there's problems with this assessment but someone who's never heard long form before I say like it's like you get, we get a suggestion and then we do a thirty minute improvised play off of that kind one of stream of consciousness improvised play and that's what if you have that in mind it gives you a little perspective on what you're going to see but it's not yeah it's not games it's a different thing it's like building a reality and calling things it's back all organic and, it, 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 yeah and it's and it's and 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 like short form is like joke structures that you plug in and it's very difficult have you done short form I have in on odd occasions but never I never like was in a short form I've never been in a situation where I've been trying to get good at short form improv. Do you enjoy have you enjoyed no, I I've never tried it. It seems it's it, not it's I find it to be very uh forced I would hard feel like or, because or, it's like well it's all the it's just like be funny now in a in an accent. Yeah, in an accent. Well, yeah. when it's be funny now in a very specific situation where it's like, I mean, there's literally a game where like you do a scene with somebody and then like someone rings a bell and you just have to go back and say something different. And that's so Exhausting, and you can't build anything. It just sells every everything's being sold out every four seconds. Every joke is, and I yeah. totally understand why that. It's a very accessible thing. Someone comes out and explains the games to you, then you watch it. It's not a theatrical piece at all, like long form is. And bad, I, I, bad short form shows. I'd rather watch a bad short form show than a bad, bad long form show any day of the week because bad long form shows are boring and pretentious and long. A bad short form show is like at least cheesy. 
at least you can be like, boo, what the hell? Or you grow that long form show. You're like, what are they doing? Why is why are they continuing to sit in a park and talk about ducks I can't see? Or whatever, you know, and if it's not, you know, it takes a while to get good at and it. And if you've ever been in, like, a, and I'm sure everyone has, but if you've been in a bad long-form scene, you, it's just that fucking trapped feeling of, like, knowing you have to keep doing it. Knowing that the, yeah. knowing that someone's not going to pop in in a second and be like, okay, next time. Now you're uh, from Underwaterland. Yeah, yeah and, you really got to embrace it. Yeah, so yeah. I like improv because it's, because it serves that part. I like stand-up because I do, like, the completely premeditated... What I like the... Feeling of like talking directly to a group of people with prepared. I, I like everything that that does, and I like the pod, the podcast. I like a lot. I like the talk show format. I like as a performer. I think that's the overall most gratifying thing for me is to be a host of a talk show in some way. Like, isn't that. it cool? Like, and I never. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the audience element of it. I enjoy the somewhat spontaneity of it. I enjoy being in control of certain elements and and interviews and. Kind of the spontaneity that comes from that, but a lot of things that, you know, it would be a misnomer to say the show is, it's a spontane, you never know what's going to happen. Like, I know more or less what's going to happen, well, but you, it's, you would it's hope fun someone's to play in within control. that. Yeah, 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 totally. And, um, and, and then the, the, the part of me that likes making video sketches and making feature films and stuff like that is all the same part where there is something very gratifying. And I think I have less stamina for it than uh, I have for other things, but where you spend so much time and effort put, like perfecting the script and performances and on the day when you're shooting it and editing it, and then it exists forever. Like it's gonna, you know, those That's sketches awesome. exist forever. These are things we wrote six years ago, and it's it's kind of cool that you cover all the bases because it's almost a polar opposite between feature film and podcasting because this is instant creative gratification, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know what I mean? You you don't have to, when you write something, you write it, and then especially a film, you, there's pre-production, you find money, and then you shoot, and it's an it could be a year or more. You deal with a lot of stuff and have to get good at a lot of stuff that you have no interest in getting good at, to get and to no interest a, in doing. To get to a final product, you feel yeah. happy about. Yeah, you got to learn about chain of title and things like that that don't that are not fun and no, are totally. stupid. But you totally understand why they exist, and if you want to make a movie that gets Absolutely. released, you shit have gets to... a, shit gets adult real quick when you want to make a movie, yeah, right? And, yeah, and most of that fell in Maggie's lap, and she handled all of it, and it was great. Well, spe speaking of your movie, uh, um, yeah. Mystery Team, sir, how did how did sure. that come about? If you folks again, if you haven't seen it, it's it's absolutely fucking me. I I mean, I gave it a, I, I think I believe it was like my number six movie two years ago. Oh, of thank the you. Year. That's like, awesome. It's one of the best uh, debut comedy films I've seen from a troupe in a really really long time. Uh, how did how did I, well I kind of touched on the interview with DC and Maggie a little bit as far as you guys were saving all the money you were making off of Derek to put yeah. into a feature right partially out of pure pure uh, foresight and partially because it was not enough money to really to impact anyone's with? life no, significantly yeah, yeah. it was enough money to buy a camera or buy or not camera literally but like buy lights and pay for things tangentially related to production it was not enough money to where if we'd started paying ourselves it could have been our job. So we just saved it and got saved and saved and it became enough to where it could go a certain a percentage of the way towards funding a feature film. So well and also we had always in our mind wanted to do something other than sketch. We didn't see we were not we thought of ourselves as a comedy group and a film a group of filmmakers not you know in that respect and not necessarily just like we make sketch videos for you the were internet. YouTube dudes exclusively yeah, yeah yeah we were like we make video content and we make films and we make short sketch videos because that's that medium and there's a cool very direct way to do that um, and we were turning those around very I mean we would shoot them in a weekend Dan would have them edited in a day and we could upload them as soon as we wanted so it had that podcast on no, it totally. too 
But with the feature film, we always wanted to do something more. We had this pilot idea that we actually got as far as scripting a six-episode season of that we were like, are we going to try and shoot six episodes of a television show and then find a way to sell that? Or are we going to shoot this feature film? And we ended up doing that. We were very close to doing... It was. It could have gone either way. Was the pilot for a mystery team pilot? No, no, no. It was a separate idea Something entirely. Something entirely different. It was an idea that we had sold to Comedy Central that we then... Uh, that uh, When DC and Donald and uh, I did when we were in college. And then they passed on it. And we were going to get it back from them. Okay. Buy it back from them. And then we, uh, you know... Uh, we and It's like a six-episode season that it was like... It could have been produced, but we opted not to. We opted to instead shoot Mystery Team because Donald had that idea and he brought it to the group. And we were we had a window. Basically, what we were looking at was Donald at Thirty Rock had a had a summer. He had his hiatus. Donald, it wasn't was, long. Donald was writing on Thirty Rock. He was writing on Thirty Rock at the time. I believe he was in this going between seasons two and three. So he had uh, like two months off, and it was like okay. So that's when we're making something. That's when we're making the thing that we keep talking about. As it's going to be this whatever, but there was no script yet. There was there was no script. Donald had written an outline for an Encyclopedia Brown movie because he wanted to adapt that, and then uh, that outline, the kind of themes and ideas, and the idea of Encyclopedia Brown. He wanted to do an actual adaptation of Encyclopedia Brown. Yes, like get the rights to Encyclopedia Brown and stuff. Uh, He wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how far it went. Actually, I know he went far enough to realize the guy who owned the rights to Encyclopedia Brown was not going to do it with him, and I believe was. uh, somehow, not it wasn't okay. okay. He wasn't. He wasn't cool. <laughs> so right. I, I don't know what I don't know what happened. But he didn't want Encyclopedia Brown to be brown. Is what we're hinting at, or <laughs> oh, I don't think it was that. I I actually think it was. He was odd. I think he was actually very much okay with that. But he I don't know. It was just I weird, really, weird shit. In the, it was no, one yeah, of those yeah, things yeah. that you kind of like try and write a treatment for, and then it goes away. That's funny though. As that many I, things do. So, so so the script for the Encyclopedia Brown treatment became there was no script. He had an outline, a okay. loose outline, or actually a very pretty thorough outline. And then uh, when it was three characters, and we completely retooled the story, even though the kind of like general corporate intrigue was a part of it, and a murder was a part of. I think Donald's. I, I honestly don't remember in all of what was in Donald's original outline, but we took that and said, okay, that you know mystery team, mystery gang at the time. Uh, was going to be our next thing. And so then it became a script about script deadlines. It became about locking down what the script was so Megan could start producing. It became about when are we actually shooting this and pushing dates and figuring all that out. And then it just, it basically, there was that meeting where it's like, okay, it's mystery team and we don't turn back and we just don't, you know, we don't stop moving forward until we either die. They're either going to kill us or we're going to make this movie. And how long from that step in the process? To finish product, I mean, it's. I think that was like October of two thousand. Oh, shit, man, these years are starting to get blended together. Uh, October of there, well, we went to yeah. Sundance in January of two thousand nine, so it would have been October of two thousand seven that we was like mystery team is going to be our thing, and then we had like a table read of a script in I believe January, and then we started shooting in April, or we went moved to New Hampshire to live there and pre-produce, and then start shooting in May. And then we were done in late June. Donald literally left 30 Rock with his luggage, got in a car, drove to Mystery Team. And after we called cut on his last shot, he got in a car and we're Dan's dad drove him directly to 30 Rock. Where <laughs> I'm sure he felt and looked and behaved like a human piece of shit. <laughs> All day. Everyone's like, how is everyone's summer? Relaxing? And he's like, 
<laughs> just punched someone square in the face yeah, right off the punched, bat. Yeah, he punched Tina it was, square in it the jaw. She, yeah, yeah. she went, shit, you know what, man? I respect you for that. <laughs> yeah. She's got a real prison. That gets you, That yeah, that puts you higher in my books. Real prison like, mentality that Tina Fey has. Uh, so yeah, she. But Thirty Rock was great. I think they even gave Donald a, a little time off to actually complete. That's awesome, man. And how was how was the Sundance experience in terms of like selling the film, seeing it becoming success, seeing it with with an audience? Like seeing it with an audience was tremendous. Seeing it, we were at every screening, and those were tremendous. And you guys so did much fun. You guys did one of those roadshow kind of kind of things where you, the demand that in your city, where you guys took this film everywhere. right? That was after. Well, we went to Sundance. After Sundance yeah, we, we got yeah. a distributor after Sundance, but Sundance was not a part of a distribution plan. The idea was to sell the movie at Sundance. That didn't happen. We sold it after Sundance. I mean, there was kind of two things going on in Sundance, where for me at least, and I'm pretty sure for the group, but uh, I was, you know, we're going in with these expectations of like we're going to sell the movie. We're going to sell the movie, and then it's going to be everywhere. And you kind of get this idea in your head of it's going to be picked up by a major distributor. It's going to go all over. And then that and then that kind of was starting to become very clear that wasn't going to happen for a lot of reasons. It's a, you know, whatever. The recession, there was like the a third as many companies. Hit, there think. was like a third as many companies in existence as, as there had been the previous year or something. That might be a completely false statistic. It makes me feel better. You're like, I just so I'm going to repeat justify. it. No, totally. Tell I that to only, everyone. I think there was only one distributor There was one there. dude there, and he one had 50 dude, bucks for a movie. 50 bucks, and I said, I was like, no way, man. Come to think of it, he that was Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, right. So, so <laughs> we went to Sundance, and so that was kind of like, as that kind of went away, it became a little daunting of like, all right, how are we going to release this thing? And then the other end of it was seeing crowd reactions and meeting all these film bloggers and having the experience of getting the of kind of the audience uh, the movie getting out into the world for the first time and there was a lot of positive reaction that we were very glad to see and was very gratifying and so that was uh that was tremendous and the critical buzz that we got coming out of it and the audience reaction was was well worth not getting a distribution deal there because then we kind of let that carry over and we we partnered up with uh roadside attractions and lionscape and then you guys took it out on the road and did did a whole yeah there was a there was a you know um in hindsight somewhat flawed but you know uh uh very sincere distribution effort where we went to 20 and some odd cities it was in new york it was in boston it was in la it was in seattle it was in chicago uh, I was in Columbia, Missouri, I was in some college towns, and uh, DC and I went on the road to a lot of those college towns, and Dan and Maggie were there for, uh, in Florida when we were doing it there, and then they were in, like, I think Portland, and everyone was, different combinations of us were traveling around, and uh, we were just promoting it, just doing, I mean, DC and I were literally, I was at, I, I was in Iowa's campus just, like, going to their radio station being like, can I, can we get on the air and talk <laughs> about it, and they were like, okay, uh, you know, and just, like, scamming, being like, there's a short-form improv group there, would be like, Hey, can we like do a set in front of your show and then like promote our movie or just come out and say hi and promote our movie? And we were just doing whatever we could to get cats in the actual theater. Yeah, just to like, and you know, with varying degrees of success in different towns. But you know, it did well overall, especially given the fact that anybody who came out and saw that movie came out because of some publicity thing that we personally did sure, and because guys, of some social networking thing we did there was a bunch of stuff you had you had the sword giveaway right yeah we had sword club that was just a, <laughs> kind of an extension of dc buying trinkets to reward people for coming to screenings and stuff and so we bought foam swords that they sold at walmart for like a dollar and oh. we then ended up ordering in bulk online and if you came and saw the movie twice in a city we gave you a sword <laughs> and your name's on the dvd and then there was uh dc got the tattoo right <laughs> He, or he did. Threatened he was to. supposed to get the tattoo, right? He no. said, "If someone in Arizona, he said, if someone 
comes here and sees this movie ten times, which is Phoenix, his hometown. So I think he's feeling a little juiced. No, no, totally. He's feeling a little. Uh, he's feeling a little. He got a little head rush. Hometown Maybe he boy. stood up too fast one night, and the blood left his head. And he said, "If someone uh, comes and sees this movie ten times in Phoenix, I'll get their name tattooed on my uh, body." Two people did it. Really, only for that reason. Like they did it, yeah. They did it. To and, be um, fucking asshole. Think and, about uh, that. You know, DC uh, <laughs> cooled off to the idea. He he went. You know what? He said what all of us had said from the beginning. It's not necessary. Yeah. It's not. That's forever. Long after. I mean, you know that it's not even that cool of a story. It's like, hey man, what's what Archibald T. Howard's name doing on your ankle? Well. He saw my movie a bunch. Oh, and so did why he kill is it a man tattooed? for you after yeah, yeah. or something? Or? Is that a prison thing? Yeah. It's very uh, dubious. So he, so he basically, I think, made it up to them in some other way. But uh, right on. <laughs> the other way will, will stay undiscussed. Yeah, I don't uh, know what it was. But I think uh, even though the, the distribution method may have been a, a little unconventional and maybe n- not as many people have seen it as you would have liked in theaters, I think the film is definitely finding an audience the now. The DVD was tremendous. Lionsgate was. Great. They let us. I mean, they really. It was in Redbox. It was. It was very easy once the theatrical run was done to make people understand where they could see the movie. Uh, it was very easy to be like, to be like, it's on. It was on Netflix. And it was just recently put on Watch Instantly. It was on Netflix. It was on iTunes. It was on Redbox and all these weird outlets I never even heard of. No, yeah, yeah. It was on Xbox. It was everywhere. So that was great. That was a way, and that was all we ever wanted. Really, that was leaving Sundance. We're like, we just want. Anyone who wants to see this movie, we want it to be accessible to them. So, and at that point, we felt like we had met that goal, and it was. And if and and whatever amount of people see it and watch it is great. But uh, we felt like we did our job at that point, no. <laughs> where where we've got where we got people, we got it in front of people, and any yeah, it's very easily accessible. And the re- and the reaction from everyone seems to be seems to be, of course, the, the same that people love it. I mean, it's almost I don't want to say cult because uh, I think a lot more people have seen it than that. But but there's a strong audience for that for that movie. I think, right? Uh, I hope so. I mean, it's hard to gauge, to be honest. I mean, there's you know, if you go on Netflix and read the reviews, it's not like it's not like everyone's like the best thing. It's like I think people, I think it's polarizing i guess and, and not in any way that's you've got it important you've got to but dig it's this, like the derek sense of humor though it's it's like i spoke to you know what i mean it, and, and well some people go in thinking it's gonna be a different thing some people go in but you know if you just go in with being like this is a funny r-rated weird movie and you sit down and watch it i think you probably either you i guess it's like anything else it's like you either kind of are into what what we're going for or you're not and like a lot of people aren't and i think a lot of people are and I don't really know what the breakdown is. <laughs> no, okay. Well, speaking of someone, someone who did enjoy it, I uh, went out for Twitter questions. Um, Jay oh, Ravilla eighty eight said, uh, "Any chance for a mystery team sequel or online episodes? Because it's kind of set up for a sequel with Neil Casey uh, at the end there with, yeah. with, the, with the with the panda, right? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, we had ideas for a sequel. I mean, we have ideas, and we're not opposed to it. I would be surprised if that's our next movie." But there definitely is, is. Is there a new Derek feature? Is that the uh, next uh, thing? We want to do another movie. We definitely do. There is not. I would be lying to say that there is an idea that we're like that we're waiting to unleash on the world. If there is an idea, we'd be working on it. Uh, I think we. I think that's actually part of the thing. Is we want there to be an idea that we're excited about. We aren't. Derek is not our uh, meal ticket. No, it's not all our of you have all of you career. have day jobs at this point. Totally. Yeah. Derek is our career, and as much as it's something that we're doing in our career, but we view it as a special thing where we would not want to ever make 
a Derek movie just because we're supposed to make a next one. We want it to make sure we put pressure on ourselves when we feel like we have the time and if we feel like there's an idea that we're excited about. Because that's what we learned with Mystery Team. And probably in this next movie, we'd have to have largely a similar thing where the only thing that gets you through a process like making a feature film where you're responsible for everything and if you... No one decides that it happens except you is if you really like the idea (laughs) and if you love the idea enough to see it through. If we hadn't, it would have been like, well, what the fuck are we even doing? Because you were the ones who were doing all the fucking work. Right. You're doing all the work. You're the ones who have to have a vision for it and all those things. So I think that if uh, there was another movie that we got just as excited about, but we definitely plan on making more stuff. But is that like in terms of the future of Derek, I guess, to... uh, you, yeah, I think I think it's very idea based. Like, if we have ideas for sketches and we have the time to make them, we do have ideas for sketches. But still the, if we have ideas for something and the time to do it, and I think it will be very apparent when there's a window of right now. Everyone's kind of busy taking that big next step. No, after totally. You into like after kind, you of, make solidif- a feature film. Well, kind yeah. of solidifying your career in a way. Not solidifying makes it sound like it's done, but like taking a big first step into like really. Uh, big first step in our career. I mean, you're all, you're all working. In, you're all working. Yeah, in the Dan's directing yeah. stuff. DC's got his novels, and him and Dan and Maggie just got done shooting a film from MTV, and they're going to adapt DC's novel. The, uh, and the boy who couldn't sleep. The boy who couldn't sleep and never, had, never to. had to. Donald's, yeah. you know, got a very visible career. I mean, that totally. He's doing. Community in the ra- and the childish Gambino stuff, and absolutely. he's doing his I Am Donald tour, which is his his music and him, and he's doing an hour long special on Comedy Central that he's shooting in like a month. So he, or no, not even a month, like Saturday or some shit, like, yeah, like a yeah, week yeah. from Saturday. So, but, but he's, uh, you know, so everyone's kind everyone's, of like, and I'm, you know, writing on the show. So everyone's what, kind what, of doing stuff. What's your, what's your, I guess, uh, post, post? How, how would you say what, what's your next move in, in terms of work? I've You're, been trying to do a lot of stand up. I really want the podcast to be a thing. I want to host a talk show. So I've, I'm, I'm trying to let the podcast both be something that can develop uh, and 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 let you know that people hopefully like. But also something that is kind of uh, a pilot for uh, is useful for me to 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 figure out what a format is that I enjoy doing and what a format is that I think I'm good at. So and then aside from that, uh, writing for television has been great. I really enjoy that. Writing for Alan Gregory has been fun. My me and my writing partner Sean Clements have who's very uh, funny dude who you've actually had on the Anytime yeah. Show. Before. Yeah, 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 very funny. We wrote a sketch show that we did at the Montreal Comedy Festival last year, and. So, yeah, uh, uh, and we have, like, features that we're looking to write with and everything. And I think we have a similar attitude about it, which is that we're looking to work and looking to write stuff to get made and sell and looking to write ideas we're excited about. So that's cool. Uh, and so I feel like those two things are going to take up most of my time. It's like doing a podcast, a talk show, hand in hand in that is doing stand up and writing more. Well, and it also, all gets to, because you do, you do, you do include stand up on your show and the, yeah, the I monologue, do like stand up monologue and, like, it's, and it's kind of a mix of all your stuff. It's stand up, there's yeah. improv in there. If anyone hasn't heard it, it's, it's, uh, the anytime show. It's on iTunes. You can check it out on Facebook. Yeah. And um, you're actually uh, you're mo- you're moving the show uh, this week, right? Going to move yeah. it to this Saturday's the last show at the Smod Castle. Uh, we're moving to uh, the uh, Underground Annex Theater, which is on Wilton and Sunset here in uh, Hollywood. And it's going to be podcast on- listeners probably won't affect them at all. I no, mean, totally. I mean, if you're an LA, acoustic, though. if you're a big <laughs> yeah. fan of room tone, if you love the room tone, if you here, become accustomed to that Smod Castle echo, man, yeah, you might, the, you the might be a... the sound of bong resin. Oh yeah. If you're accustomed to that, <laughs> there will be less of that. <laughs> that might be my favorite part about the anytime show is when people describe the bathroom, and I'm like, oh fuck. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like the backstage area. The bathroom think, is a hole. 
It's um no man. I mean, well, there's you, no toilet paper. There's no there's, there's no soap. Okay, uh, the sink is dirtier than your hands well, will surely be. I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it when you said that the the sink was used more to clean bongs than hands. That's, yeah. that bathroom is for my bong. Like that's absolutely. That, if you think of it like that, then it's a perfect clean bathroom for a bong. That's right. If I walk in that bathroom and and if there was a sign in the bathroom that said bong bathroom and I walked in, I'd be like, of course. But as it is, <laughs> I think it might be for me. So I walk in to use it. It's a little, it it's go, a, oh, a little misleading right oh, now, right? Oh, gross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should put up but, the, uh, humans might not want to, to uh, indulge <laughs> yeah, in this Not for humans, one. for bogs. <laughs> but, uh, like all the yeah. best things. Um, but So anytime shows moving, we're, but I, we're going to post links on Smodcastle to let people know uh, yes, where they can check it out. It. You'll be t- be people can Facebook follow you on, on Twitter at Dominic Durkis. That's right. D, uh, do you want to spell uh, D-I-E-R-K-E-S. You got like a song for it or a jingle? No, it's, I have a, no way to pronounce it, like circus with a D. But D O M I N I C. Is that what you do? D I E R K E S. Yeah, okay. I say whenever I have to. Whenever someone's like, "How do you? Is your last name Dirks?" I go, "It's like it's Durkis, like circus with a D." That gets it for ninety nine percent of people. But there was one comedy club owner who I said that to, and then he goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, Dominic de Circus." <laughs> he just put a D right in front of circus. It's like circus with a D in front of it, like like nothing is circus with a D. Yeah. How man. did you think that was spelled, man? D. I mean, uh, he made you Italian all of a sudden. Yeah, Dominic de Circus. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm going to do the comedy for you now. Eh? I do the comedy and I make the pizza. Yeah, yeah. You know what I hate about the, you know what I hate about the calzones? Nothing. My impression of Italian people, they're always making the pizza. Yeah, I mean, they that, always want to make a, not, they don't make the pizza, they make a, the pizza. <laughs> I mean, they get someone, because someone's got to eat it. I mean, someone's got to eat it, the pizza, you know what I mean? Here Someone's we go. Yeah. Little Mario. It always goes back down to Mario for me, sir. Uh, so you got Alan Gregory coming out. Um, October of next year. October of next no, year. No, this year. October this year. 2011. On Fox. Fall on Fox. Which is which is kind of the hub of like awesome animation now. It's got Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. There's um, shit. There's, so, there's something uh, else. I like well, Bob's Burgers the Napoleon a lot. Dynamite animated show's upcoming. Is that really coming out? Yeah. Um, right. Are you psyched? Uh, you know, it could be good. I don't know. I've seen nothing from it. I've does, seen no scripts or. Does or, Jared has have anything to do with it? All the I, Jared, from what I hear, all the, the original voice, voices and and uh, actors and yeah, yeah. directors and writers are back. Uh, Mike Scully from The Simpsons is like sh- the showrunner for it. He's yeah, legit. So that could be probably that could, could be, be something. Could easily yeah. be funny. Uh, I have not. Yeah, I've seen nothing from it. Have you seen any of your stuff animated yet? No, they've well. Oh, well, there's a pilot presentation that was along before I got there, which I thought was very funny and cool. And then they uh, have just done the record, and I think we'll see animatics from the first. Episode. Is it so. strange writing for characters if you don't know what they're going to look like? We they're all drawn. Okay, so, you so have the character they have character designs. models, so you can see them. Yeah. And what also helped was the table reads and having the actors read. Oh, so you helped. know who's going to be playing the characters and all yeah, that. Yeah, once you kind of get a sense of that, it's easier to write for. And and you know, and once we see them play out and how the animators like indicate their body language, it'll give us a sense of yeah, all those things help. Right on, man. So so uh, Alan Gregory, you got in the Fox. Uh, you've got uh, the Anytime Show, of course. Right. Which everyone could check out. Anything else you want to uh, sh- share with the good people? Um, no, man. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I just did that. You did that Shit. already? Uh, Fuck, I feel like we've it, covered man. everything. We I got mean, it. They can find you. You want to give your address out in case? Yeah, somebody? yeah. Well, I'll tell you where I used to. I used to live at 5536 Sierra Vista Avenue. I just lived there oh, shit. as of a few months ago. So if you want to go and like, like feel the aura. Like, yeah, yeah, if that's yeah. important to you in any way. No, totally. I don't if, you, know, if, go you're, there. if you're in LA on your anytime show <laughs> tour and uh, you're... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. I'd love for you to go around to Old Land Marks I lived in. Yeah. Uh, just uh, the Dominic Turkey store. No, I think totally. it was 8556 Burton Way. You want to drive out there? 
Fuck, man. Knock yourself out. You can't go crazy, dude. You should trade. I drive you a lime green market. Chevy Aveo. If you see that, if you see that <laughs> shit driving around, just knock on my window. You should uh, you should start driving the tours for people, like Star Bus or whatever, but you actually yeah. give the tours of places you used to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do that on my own anyway. I like to re- reflect. I drive around old places <laughs> That's what I you do all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I break into my old apartment, stand over the guy sleeping life, there, and I when go, life I, gets I was here. No, yeah, when life gets rough, just reconfirm you've been places. Yeah, yeah, I was here. I was I, somebody. I yeah. existed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my existential crisis. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much for thank joining you for having me, Dominic. Me, sir. Dude, this was a lot of fun. Um, again, you can find uh, everyone listen to the Anytime Show. Uh, it is fantastic. And uh, last one is coming up this Saturday night, actually. This Saturday with Matt Walsh. So if you folks are in LA and you're hearing this podcast uh, on the day it comes out, get your asses down to the uh, final Smodcastle Anytime Show with with one of the UCB founders, Matt Walsh. Uh, absolutely. Gonna, gonna be a good in. And, cool, man. uh, thanks, dude. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Folks, uh, thank you so much for joining me again. It, it's been, it's been a delightful romp, as always. Next week, we're, we're switching it up. We're going back to a Brave and the Bold episode. We're gonna be joined by, uh, my friend Jeremy Graham, who will soon be your friend. Again, you might know him from Clerks 2 Frame. How do I say that, Derek? Frame or fame? Clerks 2 Fame. Derek, what did he do in Clerks 2? He ate a gigantic bear claw and won a thousand dollar bet. But he didn't win the thousand dollars because fucking DK never paid him. Ha ha! That is uh. Is that? That is uh. That is not a matter for me to comment on. Is that known? Is that public information? I I don't think so. All righty then. New public information for you, folks. Well, we'll ask Jeremy all about it next week. Uh, I might have to edit that. DK stands for Donkey Kong. He's got a friend named Donkey Kong. Hangs out with a little guy named Diddy. Uh, they went racing at one point. You guys, anything? No? All right. Folks, uh, I am Matt Cohen. Thank you for joining me here at Bagged and Board. As always, this show is on the uh, proud member of the Smodcast Network. You can find us there weekly and on iTunes. Subscribe, leave a comment, uh, do all that fun stuff. You can find me on Twitter at CamelToad, C-A-M-E-L-T-O-A-D, like a fucking frog. And uh, you can check out CamelToadProductions.com and BaggedBoarded.com for all kinds of fun updates. If you've got... Anything you want to say, uh, any fan art, you hate me, you like me, you want to sex me up, you want to do the opposite of sexing me up, which I guess is like put a fucking metal chastity belt on my waist. Uh, email boarded at yahoo.com for that fun stuff. Uh, as always, check out Golden Apple Comics. Lots of really cool stuff coming up. April 20th, again, I'll be chatting with Mr. Ziggy Marley about Marijuana Man, which is going to be a highlight. You get it, folks? Because I do drugs. And uh, other than that, uh, I'm Matt Cohen. It's been Bagged and Boarded, and it's been real what? Bagged and Boarded. Live. Find more funny shit like this at Smodcast.com. Hi, I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Jen Schwalbach. And here's what's happening every day at Smodcast.com. On Sunday, it's me and Scott Mosier doing the original Smodcast. On Mondays, it's Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman. On Tuesdays, it's Blowhard with Malcolm Ingram. 
Also on Tuesday, my personal favorite, Plus One. That's the one where you and I talk. That is. And you get naked. <laughs> on Wednesdays, it's me and Jason Muse doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. On Thursdays, it's Puck Nuts with Walt Flanagan, Ming Chen, and Brian Johnson. And don't forget Sunday Jeff. And then on Friday, they lose Sunday Jeff, and it's just Walt Flanagan, Brian Johnson, and Brian Quinn, and sometimes Ming Chen taking some abuse on Tell em Steve Dave. On Saturdays, it's Red State of the Union. Highlands, a peephole history. One of the shows iTunes chose one of the best podcasts of 2010. Smarage at Smodcastle, one of my favorites. That's where I actually become Rev Kev and marry motherfuckers. We sit down, interview them, find out about their entire lives. At the end of it, they're literally married. And all of it's free. Don't cost you a dime. Seven days a week, we bring you the free funny. Nice. You sound like a pitch person there, man. What else can you sell me? Show me a little boob. I'll buy. <sighs> Smartguest.com. <laughs>